Thank you, Elise. Hey, everybody, isn't, isn't Elise funny <laughs> looking? <laughs> what? All right, I, that was a little low blow, but to be, you know, full disclosure, I did ask Elise beforehand if I could say that, and uh, actually, kind of funny, I go, okay, Elise, can I say this? It's funny. It's an old family joke. It really is. It's an old family joke. Just added looking shortly after every time you tell somebody they're funny. Um, her response was this, Komar, if you, if you really can't think of anything better than that, and if you feel like that's what you really need to do, by all means, have at it. Go for it. I'll take one for the team. Um, hey, today we're celebrating baptism. It's amazing celebration. And people are going to be on stage. They're going to be in a tank. And, and behind every single one of their stories is this. They've decided, to make, they've, decided, they've decided to make Jesus the king of their life. They've recognized Jesus as a true king, and they've decided to make him king of their life. They've recognized him as the eternal one, the one whom through all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made. The one who is enthroned in heaven, he's the true king, and I've decided to make him king of my life. That's what we're here to celebrate, and it's a really big deal. My question is this. Why, why, why is it, as, as people, we find ourselves in a situation where that's a decision we have to make? That's a decision we have to make. That's a choice that we have to go through. And we're going to dig into a few ideas that might help answer that question this morning. Uh, before we start, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we, we do lift you up. We praise you for who you are. You are the true king. Uh, you're perfect in every way. You're faultless. You conquered death, Jesus, and we give you praise for that. Um, you are Lord of all, and this morning we're going to celebrate you in a powerful way as we, as we witness this symbolic uh, the symbolic baptism of somebody making you Lord of their life. God, help us to understand something new about this dynamic, about who you are as king and about who we are as people. This morning, help us, God. Amen. Okay, I'll start off with, with a story. This is, uh, and this is just leading into something that is actually important um, to understand about ourselves. But it's a story about a conversation I had with my three-year-old son a few weeks ago. It's bedtime. Okay, Caleb is getting ready for bed and he asks me this question. It's a question that he asks almost every night because he's in this phase where this is what he wants. He says, Daddy, tonight, can I sleep, can I sleep in the big bed tonight? And he's referring to the bed that Robin and I sleep in. Daddy, can I sleep in the big bed? Okay, and my response was short and simple. No, bud, you have a fire truck bed. The fire truck bed is the bed you sleep in. It's a good bed for you to sleep in. That's the place where you're supposed to sleep. Okay, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, great. Conversation over. He asked me a question. I gave a response. That's a fair response. His beds were, you know, enough said. Well, for him, as you can imagine, that wasn't enough. He wanted to kind of dig in a little bit more. But, and so he responds. He wants to try to win this case, right? He wants to convince me that maybe he should be sleeping in the big bed, um, in, in, in mommy and daddy's bed. So he begins his response and he says, but daddy, my bed is, and he was going to give me some reason why his bed wasn't good enough, but he didn't get that far because I stopped him. And I did something that, I think he's the only three, but he already realizes this is incredibly annoying. And as he gets older, he's going to just come to know it as more and more annoying. And I got to be careful because I can definitely exasperate him with this. But 
I stopped him. As soon as he said the words, my bed, I stopped him because I have this funny hypothesis that if I can help him eliminate possessive pronouns from his vocabulary, maybe he'll grow up with like a lesser, I know this is too much and too intense, but like, <laughs> you know, but this is, I feel like my role as a parent, like I'm going to raise him up to be unattached to like things that don't really matter, right? So when he says my shirt, I say, bud, you mean the shirt that you're wearing? So, so he begins his response, his argument with, but daddy, my bed. And I stop. I said, bud, you mean the bed that you sleep in? And then he stop, and then he comes back at me and says, he's already had enough. He's three. He says, daddy, why can't I call it my bed? Why can't I call it my bed? It makes perfect sense. So I begin to explain, well, bud, we just don't want to think about things like my or mine. We just don't want to have, you know, and then he says this, he says, but daddy, I'm the only one that sleeps in that bed. Nobody else sleeps in that bed but me. I sleep in that bed. It's my bed. Why are you trying to make this more complicated than it needs to be, right? So, all right, whatever. Is there anybody that thinks that I have, actually have a good idea with this? <laughs> Hopeless. I know, I know. So anyways... Think about his response. I'm the only one that sleeps in that bed. Therefore, it's my bed. Let's shift gears a little bit here. And we're going to talk about a different story. And instead of talking about beds, we're going to talk about bodies. It's a story of Adam and Eve. And it's a story of something that happened. It's very powerful. It's very fascinating. It's an amazing thing that happened. When they decided they, want to be, they wanted to be like kings, when they decided to reject God, we're taking it way back, Garden of Eden, when they decided, when they decided that they could have an understanding on par with God, when they decided that they could have a knowledge on par with God, that they could set up on their own, that they could, they could build a happiness or an existence outside of their relationship with God as it was designed, when they made that decision, when they rejected God, they changed the relationship forever and something really powerful and fascinating happened. And that thing is this, Genesis 3, 7 tells us in that moment, their eyes were opened and they became aware. Their eyes were opened and they realized, they realized they were naked is what the story tells us. But, but think about what's happening here because it's really powerful. Their eyes were opened and they became aware in a brand new way. In a way that they were not aware before, they are now aware. In a way that they didn't see or think or perceive before, now they are thinking and perceiving in a new way. And it starts with their bodies. It's where it starts. They begin to perceive their bodies in a new way. They're aware of their bodies in a new way. And that's why we're told that they realize they're naked because they're aware of their body in a, they're aware of their bodies in a new way. We have, we have some concept of this, um, and this is, kind of in the, in, when we're not aware and then we are aware, I think, of, I think of this. I think of, you know how we're in fifth grade, when you're in fifth grade? You're totally unaware of what you look like. You're just totally unaware. It doesn't even matter. Like, you know you have a face and you know you have hair, and, but it just, you're just unaware of what it really looks like. And then fast forward to like seventh grade, and all of a sudden you're painfully aware. You're painfully aware of what you look like. 
Okay? You're, you're aware of things that you weren't before and it matters. And you have to start thinking along different lines. Actually, just for a quick laugh, there's a picture of me in fifth grade. When I was totally unaware, the whole combing the hair thing, it didn't come till like seventh grade. Sorry, I just didn't, I don't know what, it doesn't matter. But this is, this is the reality. Here's what's important about that. What comes along with their new awareness, with their ability to contextualize their life inside of a body, right? What, what, what comes along with that awareness, on the coattails of that awareness, is a, is a brand new way of thinking. And this is the case with any time we're made aware of something we weren't before. When we're aware in a new way, we think in a new way. Because our awareness always changes our, our thoughts and our perspectives, And so now all of a sudden, you you have to think about your body because you're aware of it in a new way. You have to think about it in a new way. And and this is is really the most important thing. This is what you realize, and this is what you begin to think. You begin to realize this. I'm a life. I am a life inside this body, right? This body is a physical territory, and I occupy it. This body that takes up space in this, in this world, in this universe, is the thing that I live in. And then, you, and, then you, and then you realize this. This physical territory that I live in, it does exactly what I tell it to, right? If I tell it to dance, it dances. You didn't like that? <laughs> if I tell it to snap its fingers, it snaps its fingers, you, this very powerful awareness that you're living inside a body and the body responds to you. And then you, and then you, and you understand this. I'm the only one that lives inside this body. Nobody else lives inside this body but me. So it's my body. I'm the only one that sleeps in this bed. It's my bed. I'm the only one that lives in this body. It's my body. This body responds to me. This body, and, and we can think of, it's helpful to think about it this way, just like any, any physical territory that can be occupied or lived in, we call a kingdom, right? We, we think about uh, just in, in land, physical territory. It can be occupied, it can be lived in, it can be controlled. We call it a kingdom. We can think about our bodies the same way. It's, phys- it's this is physical, it's matter. Like we're not vapor. We're physical beings and we occupy them. And we control them. So these bodies become, in essence, kingdoms. And if we're the ones controlling it, what do we become? We can come to know ourselves as kings of kingdoms. I know I do. You think about this. Think about how a king is in relationship to his kingdom. Think about how a king, how that dynamic works. Because here's, th- here's a couple things you know for sure. A king's experiences in, in his kingdom, you, you better know this. Everything in that king's kingdom better please that king, right? King better be happy with, ha- with what's happening in his kingdom. Otherwise, we've got to fix it, got to change it. There's somebody, somebody, if I'm a king of a kingdom, somebody in my kingdom I don't like, off with their head. 
right? Everything in my kingdom has to please me. Otherwise, it's out of the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom has to be about my enjoyment. Otherwise, it's out of the kingdom. Or I'm an unhappy king. Or I'm a, a, I'm a depressed king because I've got things in my kingdom that aren't pleasing me and I can't do anything. Just, right, so a kingdom's evaluation of how well things are going in his kingdom, a, a king's evaluation of whether or not all is right within his kingdom fall along these lines. Is it pleasing to me? Because if it's not, something's wrong in the kingdom. I can't tell you how often I see this happen in my own life, me acting like a king in my kingdom. I'm at dinner and my son is whiny or not eating as fast as I want him to. It's not pleasing. If, I, if I'm viewing myself as a king, right? Now all of a sudden I'm irritated. Up to your room, buddy. You're not eating fat. Up to your room. Because something is happening in and around this kingdom that's not pleasing the king. You got to fix it. You got to take care of it. Otherwise, it's a problem. Otherwise, think about how I feel in traffic for crying out loud, right? Not pleasing to me. There's a problem. My evaluation of whether or not all is right and good in the kingdom falls along the lines of what's pleasing me or displeasing me. That's the, that's the dynamic of a king in his kingdom. And I see that in my own life. Kings evaluate their kingdoms in other ways too. Whether or not all is well, whether or not all is right, king's relationship to his kingdom is to enjoy the kingdom, but also to advance the kingdom. Kings of kingdoms have to build and grow their kingdom. And if it's not advancing and growing, or if it's not perceived by other kingdoms the way they want it to be perceived, there's a huge problem. Hey, if a king's kingdom doesn't have the status amongst the other kingdoms that he wants it to have, there's a problem. We've got to fix that problem. We've got to build up our kingdom. We've got to advance my kingdom. We've got to show everybody how strong my kingdom is, right? This is how kings work. And once again, I see that in my own life. I see this propensity to act and behave like a king in a kingdom. I taught in D.C. public schools for four years. Okay. And they have this system where they evaluate teachers. And it's a whole bunch of things. It's, it's, they observe you teach a lesson and they grade you on your lesson and, they, and they, they count how many meetings you're on time to or how many meetings you're late to and they count how many extracurricular activities you're a part of and, and, then, and then they take into account the student test scores and then they give you a score and they, they place a value on you. They place a number on you. This is how much that I, I can believe that I'm a king of a kingdom. Because I remember saying this and thinking this amongst other teachers in my school. I said this, I said, you know, we're going to get our impact rating and they're going to put a number on me and that number is going to be in their eyes my value. You better believe this. If they're going to put a number on me, that number is going to be a good number. That number is going to be as high as it can be. Because in my mind, I'm looking at myself as a king of a kingdom, and my kingdom has to have the right reputation. My kingdom has to be perceived the right way. My kingdom has to have the status and the success. Let me tell you something, though, and this is just a quick aside. Four years I taught in D.C. public schools, that number owned me. 
That number controlled me. When I prepared lessons, I wasn't thinking about what's best for the kids. I was thinking about what was best for my evaluation. When, when, when I had misbehavior in my class and I was being observed, I wasn't thinking about how to take care of a kid's problem. I was thinking about how poorly it reflected on me as a teacher and what would happen with my evaluation. And what's at the root of all that? The root of all that is this. I fall into this trap of believing that I am a king of a kingdom. And the way a king relates is in relationship to his kingdom is it has to be advanced and it has to be promoted and it has to be, have the right status. Lastly, the relationship of a king to a kingdom is this. Kings have to protect and preserve their kingdom. They have to. Otherwise, they're not kings anymore. We think about this. If it's true, I know it's true in me. I don't know about you, but, but I can fall into this trap again of believing that I'm a king because I'm living in this body that I control, right? I'm aware of this body in, in a new way. I, I, I see how it responds to me. I believe that I'm a king of this kingdom. I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> um, preserve, protects and preserves the kingdom. I've got to keep this thing alive at all costs. Otherwise, I'm not a king anymore. This is why that matters. Because for a lot of us, death is a really big deal. Death is such a big deal because death is the ultimate attack on our kingdom. Because death means we're going to be no longer kings. I know for me. Death becomes so powerful that it can order all of our days leading up to it. It can become such a thing that all of our decisions, all of our approaches to life, all of our evaluations are based on this. Before I die, what? Before I die, what? And that can control our lives. And at the very heart of it is this, our belief, my belief that I'm a king of a kingdom. Again, we're having a baptism today and this is a really cool celebration because at the heart of it is this. People have decided, I don't have a kingdom here. And in fact, when I once believed that I did, when I once viewed myself as a king of a kingdom, I'm actually gonna bury that kingdom. And that's what happens when they go down in the water. Bury that old, bury that old view of the self that I'm a king of a kingdom and I, ha and I have to approach life that way, buried. Because they've decided to acknowledge a true king. They've decided to make Jesus king. And now, whereas before, everything in their life had to, had to please the king and the king was the self and the king of this kingdom was the self and all had to please me. Now, Jesus, everything has to please Jesus. Everything has to please him which is amazing because it gives us purpose and it gives us direction and it gives us a, a baseline for evaluating everything that is pure and right. Because he's the king now. And it's about his kingdom. It's about a kingdom of forgiveness and a kingdom of love and a kingdom of mercy and a kingdom of peace and a kingdom of harmony, all of these things. 
all of these things that we have a really hard time getting at. If we believe that we're kings of kingdoms, kingdoms that won't last, kingdoms that are made of dust into dust will return. And it's such a heavy thought. But this morning, I just want to challenge you this as you witness the baptisms and, and you understand what's going on in a big way, in a huge way. Maybe it, it would just, just prompt some, some thinking of our own. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the true king. You're before all things. All things were created through you. Without you, God, Jesus, you're the true king. You conquered death. You're perfect. You have plans for every single one of our lives. You desire for this earth to look like your kingdom. You desire for this earth to be characterized by peace and harmony and unity and love because that's who you are. And that's what should be reflected in your kingdom. Jesus, just ask this morning that you would speak into our hearts and help us to have the strength and the courage to see you for who you really are as a true king. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Matt's the deep one on staff. He, uh, deep philosophy. That, that was awesome. Uh, you know, I just want to say before Julia gives her, you know, testimony, some things Matt was talking about that, you know, a whole realization. We just wake up one day, you know, in seventh grade and realize what we look like, you know. Fifth grade, we have no idea. It's kind of how I was this morning. Thank you. You know, my wife said to me a few days ago, you know, I got you that sweater and it's orange and it's fall and you've never worn it before. Why don't you wear that? And um, I did and it seemed fine at home. And I... <laughs> and I got here and uh, it, it was all women that were noticing the sweater. Boy, that looks nice. That looks nice. That's a nice sweater you're wearing today. And then finally I stood next to a woman and her husband was there and he said, Yeah, you look like a big pumpkin. <laughs> Some of you are here this morning. You've come to the realization, you know, maybe you've been in church a lot or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you've come to the realization this morning. Have I made Jesus my king? Like, have I made him my king? Have I said, you know what, the old kingdom, I'm burying that. That's what baptism is all about. The Bible says in baptism, you're burying the old kingdom. And I've got a new king. Hey, you're thinking, have I ever really done that? Today's a great day to do that. Because these two testimonies you're about ready to hear are people like Julia who said, you know what? Jesus is my king. And for some of us, I want to say this, we have two baptisms we know we're getting ready to have, Julia and Daniela. 
But if you're here this morning, like, you know what? I went in on that. I want to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is my king. We're told that when Jesus himself was baptized, he came up out of the water. What happens? The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on his life. We need the Holy Spirit to live the life that God really wants us to live and that we really want to live. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we just do what Julie is about ready to do, we believe as a church family, and we pray together as a church family, the Holy Spirit's going to descend and give us the power to live the lives that we really want to live that we really want to live, that we need to live, that we desire to live. The Holy Spirit's going to descend. And so Julie's going to tell her story, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on this wonderful young lady. You're going to see she's full of energy, bubbly, full of life. That the Holy Spirit's going to descend upon her and help her to live the life that she really wants to live and that God wants her to live, okay? Would you give a warm round of applause to Julia? Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.